is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Abraham Lincoln was the last American president to come under enemy fire in battle. We'll hear the story of how this happened with our guest Matt Pinsker on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at a vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on-ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts, and on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building. And I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up. <laughs> because she knew I'd end up in college, not working at the vacant lot like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Matthew Pinsker about his book, Lincoln's Sanctuary, Abraham Lincoln and the Soldier's Home. And in our last segment, we talked about how the uh, Soldier's Home became a place where Lincoln could go, Lincoln and his family could go during the summer of 1862 and later summers during the war, how the place later fell into uh, uh, a sort of historical memory hole. Those who were near it still knew about its importance, but... The Civil War historical community as a whole seemed to forget that it existed, but it has been uh, rescued, uh, it's being restored, it's becoming a place where people can go see once again what uh, what happened there. Uh, Matt, you told that very interesting story about the woman who wanted to see the place where the Emancipation Proclamation was written, uh, and that was the, the, uh, the story that she had heard. Is it true? Did Lincoln actually draft the Emancipation uh, at the soldier's home? Well, there are conflicting accounts. Um, I've come to the conclusion that he probably drafted uh, the actual documents, and there are several, because there was a first draft, a preliminary proclamation, and then the final proclamation that was issued on January 1st, 1863. He probably did those uh, acts of drafting at the White House Library, but um, there's no doubt that he did um, his thinking and developed the policy of emancipation during the entire period in the summer and fall of 62 when he was living at the soldier's home. So 
what you can say without any dispute is that uh, he was living there when he developed the policy. He had several meetings related to it out there. He may have drafted uh, some of the actual parts of the document there. I'm just a little skeptical because of what seems to be a pattern in, in the way he wrote. And uh, that seems to, in my mind at least, put him in the White House Library for the actual writing. But as you know, as an author, I mean, uh, the process of drafting is kind of mysterious, and the way people write and, and how it comes together is, is very hard to recapture. Now, I wonder if he didn't uh, do some of the drafting in his head while commuting. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people often come up with ideas while they're doing something else. Of course. You know, but then what does it mean to draft? Does it mean to put pen to paper, or does it mean to, to come up with the sentences in your head? And some of us think in our heads in almost fluid sentences and then write them down, and other people kind of scratch them out and then develop them. You know, you can see this kind of process play out exactly with the Gettysburg Address, remarkably enough. I mean, you probably remember this, but um, in the summer of 63, when Lincoln is living at the soldier's home, He's approached after July 4th and asked, you know, what the meaning of independence is in the middle of the Civil War. And he says, in July of 63, how long ago was it? Eighty-odd years. And then over the course of the next several months, while he's living at the soldier's home, he fine-tunes that idea. And that's what opens the Gettysburg Address four score and seven years ago. In that period, from July to November, he's developed... Uh, with some biblical precision, the meaning of this moment. And he did all of that while he was living at the soldier's home and also walking across the pathway toward the, the National Cemetery that was right next to his cottage in the, the grounds of the place and uh, provided a backdrop for him as he's thinking about going to dedicate this new cemetery in Pennsylvania. And I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Douglas Wilson's book, Lincoln's Sword, where he analyzes Lincoln's writing in this fashion, looks at drafts, the excellent drafts that we have, and compares them and shows how those processes developed. Um, one of the most famous stories of Lincoln at the Soldier's Home is the one involving Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., the future Supreme Court jurist uh, that takes place in, in the summer of 1864 when the Confederate raid almost, uh, almost reaches uh, Washington, D.C., Tell us that story and then what you think of it. Well, as you know, Washington was ringed by a series of forts, uh, nearly 70 of them, by the height of the Civil War. And in the summer of 64, the Confederates had dispatched Jubal Early and an army of about ten to 12,000 Confederate men to try to launch a raid into Maryland and then the capital to distract attention away from uh, the siege of Richmond. And uh, Early's men got to the district border and were leading an assault on Fort Stevens, which is about a mile from the soldiers' home. And Lincoln, at the time of the approach of Early's men, was actually living with his family at the soldiers' home. Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of War, had sent an urgent message to them the night before Early's men arrived and demanded that they come back to the White House. And the next day, Lincoln went out, left the White House, and went to Fort Stevens, um, on July 11th, and then again on July 12th. And at each time, uh, he came under enemy fire. Um, a remarkable moment, a president as commander-in-chief under enemy fire. There were sharpshooters that were outside the fort who were firing away. And according to, you know, all of the witness reports, the president, you know, at six foot four and a half, made a, an easy target. 
He wasn't, of course, injured, but there was a man near him who was hurt by a bullet, and uh, he was the president was ordered down because he was attracting attention. Now, over the years, years after the Civil War, in fact, the the story somehow developed that it was Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was a young soldier at Fort Stevens at that moment, part of the Sixth Corps that had come to relieve the fort from the attack. Uh, that he was the one who told the president to get down. Get down, you damn fool, was how it was originally described in this article in the Saturday Evening Post. Uh, but I almost think, uh, without any doubt, that that story is apocryphal. Um, the, there, the General Wright, who was there, is probably the one who ordered the president down. We have multiple witness testimony from contemporaries there who said it was General Wright who did that. Now, I admit Lincoln came under fire twice. You know, it, anything is possible. But we have this remarkable little piece of evidence that I find pretty persuasive. The day after the Confederates fled Washington and went back to Virginia, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes traveled around the city with um, John Hay, the president's personal secretary, and Robert Todd Lincoln, his son. They kind of spent the day together. And John Hay records all of this in his diary. And you would have thought, that, you know, if Holmes, a young officer in the Army, had actually ordered the president down, he would have mentioned it to his son the next day. They would have joked about it. Uh, but there's nothing in the diary account from Hay about that. And um, I think when the story broke in the 20th century, in the early 20th century, it was kind of a cocktail party story in Washington that got inflated by secondhand, thirdhand accounts and put Holmes in the middle of it. You know, it, it's hard to to prove a negative to you know the dog that doesn't bark. Here you've got the letter that doesn't account for the story, but given a story of that, uh, it's so attractive. It is hard to imagine that that nobody would have said anything at the time. Right. So uh, uh, that that's now there's one less good story we can tell. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, but but he was uh, Lincoln was standing up there on the parapet, and you say uh, Twice, somebody standing actually. near him got wounded. Right. Yeah, all of that's amazing. You know, with or without the Holmes detail, this is a, a fascinating little moment. And um, it, it tells you a lot about Abraham Lincoln. You know, this is not a man who was military in his career. I mean, he had spent a few uh, months in the Illinois militia. He said he killed mosquitoes, not Indians, in the Black Hawk War. Uh, but here he was, you know, risking his life, essentially, and putting himself right in harm's way on the front lines because he was so... You know, committed to trying to capture these Confederates. There was another um, uh, one of my favorite stories, I guess, about the, the soldiers' home. Uh, I came across while I want to say it was in the Century magazine. I'll think of it in a moment. Uh, but our our mutual mentor, uh, David Donald, had asked me to do some research for his biography on Lincoln in uh, the nine back in the nineties, and. I came across a story that, that I know you're familiar with in which uh, a couple soldiers, one of whom is quite drunk, uh, go up to the soldier's home in the middle of the night or late at night with the idea that they'll, they'll drop in on old Abe and have a visit. And the, the soldier who's writing this article is not the one who was drunk. He, he, he was talked into it by his inebriated companion that they ought to go see old Abe. You recall the story, I guess. I do. I do. Now, if we're thinking of the same story, there is a political element to this. Uh, they were soldiers, but one of them, the, the drunk one, uh, was supposedly bringing a message from Governor Seymour of New York. Uh, he was from New York, and the message was that, uh, you know, um, 
Seymour was talking uh, or criticizing the administration, but he wasn't really serious. And the sort of back channel they were allegedly establishing there was that, uh, uh, you know, a way for Seymour to send a signal to the president that he shouldn't arrest him. Uh, and so, you know, it was right on the eve of the Gettysburg campaign and right just a few weeks before the draft riots in New York uh, provoked, you know, the federal response. And it's a tense period in the war. It's after the arrest of uh, Clement Vallandigan, the congressman from Ohio who's running for governor. And it's a period when the Copperhead or Democratic movement is threatening the unity of the Northern Coalition. And so the story is both you know, human and funny. There's a drunk soldier who slaps Abraham Lincoln on the knee and says, tell us one of your stories. But it's also got this political element, too, which I find fascinating about uh, Democrats and Republicans working together behind the scenes. And and at the same time, it's a window uh, into a world completely different. You could, uh, the public can't get into the White House today, much less go in at will and wake the president up. Uh, and have him come downstairs and, and talk to you and then slap him on the knee and ask him for a funny story. Right. Uh, As you said, I mean, these soldiers apparently, uh, according to the recollection anyway, woke the president up. As he's talking to them, he's dozing. And when he dozes, the drunk one slaps him on the knee and, uh, in an effort to try to get him back in the conversation. says, why don't you tell us one of your stories? Uh, and Lincoln got offended. Um, so none of this is the way we picture the the world working it's not how we imagine Lincoln. He gets offended and storms off, but uh, it seems real uh, to me, anyway, and uh, it's certainly it's memorable. It does. He also, as I, if I recall correctly, he he responds to that soldier by saying, "I don't tell funny stories just to tell them. That uh, they have a purpose." That's exactly uh, right. And and he doesn't tell one on demand. He's not a. a, a, a a comedian. Uh, he's not there to just tell jokes. Now, uh, another way in which today's world differs from uh, the world of the mid-19th century uh, is with the the case of David Derrickson, uh, the captain of the company that guarded Lincoln at the soldier's home. Uh, C.A. Tripp, in his book uh, on the intimate world of Abraham Lincoln, in which he argues that uh, Lincoln was clearly gay, makes much of the evidence that one of Lincoln's, uh, the officer from Lincoln's bodyguard, slept in the soldier's home with the president. Uh, is, is he right about that? Uh, is he right about the evidence, and is he right how he interprets it? Uh, I don't think he's right about how he interprets it, but there is evidence that Derrickson and Lincoln shared a bed together in the soldier's home, uh, at least for a few weeks during the war. Uh, David Derrickson is a captain of the infantry unit uh, from Pennsylvania that's assigned to guard the president. They arrive uh, during the Antietam campaign in the fall of 62. They'll stay with the president for three years um, until the end of the war. Derrickson himself is going to go back to Pennsylvania uh, and become a provost marshal, but he is there uh, through the spring of 63. And in the fall, um, he becomes a friend of Lincoln's almost instantly, you know, uh, he was uh, a Republican from Pennsylvania. He had a little bit of a political background, a uh, businessman. He was a middle-aged father. Uh, you know, uh, he had two wives. Uh, the first, his first wife had died. Between the two wives, he's going to have, uh, I think, over 11 children. Uh, one of his sons is in the unit with him. Um, but Lincoln takes, you know, takes to him. And it, in that relationship, Tripp saw uh, homosexuality. Um, he reports on, you know, the gossip that 
the relationship generated. Um, but I tell you, when I looked at the same evidence and the same stories, the gossip for, from where I sat was all about, you know, social class. It wasn't about sex. It was about the idea that a president of the United States could reach across these invisible barriers and make friends with what people were calling a country captain, uh, David Derrickson, and that um, he would sort of violate all the norms and customs of uh, refined society. That was what was generating the, the backlash. Uh, men shared beds together back then, not just because they had to, but because that's what people did. Um, and they didn't sexualize it. Uh, so, again, it's a different world than the one that we live in, uh, certainly. Yeah. Well, Matt, unfortunately, uh, and all too soon, we are out of time. Uh, but I know our listeners will want to go out and order themselves a copy of Lincoln's Sanctuary, Abraham Lincoln in the Soldier's Home by Matt Pinsker. It is uh, unquestionably the best book on the subject of the Soldier's Home, and there have been some others uh, of, of lesser quality, I would say, uh, but this is the one you want to read if you want to learn more about this this fascinating subject. So, again, I'm sorry we're we're done already, but Matt, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks, Jerry. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A.